0: walk, because I won't chase as many rabbits. <laughs> I can hop along after them, though. But today, I want to start a new series, and I've been meditating on this for about 90 days, so I'm really excited that 2022 ended, so I could get into this new series. Um, starting a new series entitled, What You Get, and uh, I don't know if you did this, but you know, where I grew up as a, as a child, uh, January was all about exposure, because we were always asking everyone so what you get right because the newness hadn't wore off yet we hadn't yet lost the toys the Legos were still in the box and uh, so we would ask everyone what you get kind of compare so um, in meditating on the first of the year in years past I've always spent about eight weeks talking about the blessing so we could go into each new year with the mindset of our father is a blesser yes, and uh, but this year I just thought it would it just seemed right to me to follow the Spirit a new way and talk about the gifts that we receive, because if we're a child of God, if we've made Jesus Christ the Lord and Savior of our lives, that makes us a child of God. And our Father is a gift giver. And He gifts every one of His children with an abundance of gifts, unending, they're new every day, but there are five of them each of us have. And I want to spend each week in the month of January exposing five gifts that each of us have received. But, you know, it's one thing to get a gift. It's another thing to know how the thing works. You know, how many of you ever ever got a gift and you looked at it and thought, well, that's cool. What is it? How does it work? And if you don't know how a thing works, how do you know it's working right? Right, and so I want to talk about the five gifts. And these are the five things we're going to talk about over the next five weeks. We're going to talk about hope, peace, joy, love, and righteousness. And what I want to do with each one of these gifts that you already have is help you know what it is and how it works so you can ascertain, is hope working in my life? Because you need hope to work. Right? So today we're going to be talking about hope. And each of us have an idea of what hope is if we've ever had that almost giddy feeling that something good's about to happen to us. Right, we have a, a sense of excitement on the inside, and, 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 and I, it doesn't matter what it's based on, but you just have this internal feeling something good is about to happen to you, and it creates a sense of expectation and excitement. That is generally what we call hope, not necessarily biblical hope, though, and that's what I want to get into today, because biblical hope contains that sense of excitement, but it's much stronger than optimism or desire or wish, okay? Okay? But hope is, listen to this, it's a state of expectation, and it's crucial to every overcoming Christian's life. Yeah. You can't be an overcoming Christian without hope operating in your life. Right. And it's also a very, it's a rather important topic in the Bible. <laughs> All throughout the Bible, you, do, you, you you come across the word hope. And I want to start off this day by talking about two words in the scripture in the Hebrew language you, those of you know you know I'm something I love digging deep and finding out how words came to be what their etymology is so we can understand them and in the scripture there's there's a lot of words that have been translated hope by the English translators two of the biggies are yachah. and you got to cough up the phlegm when you say it if you ain't hacking up you ain't saying it right it's <laughs> and 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 that word means literally to wait for to wait for. See, this this is going to get good. We're going to. The train is slow moving today because I can't. Right. I talk better when I walk. I think better when I move. But in the original language of Scripture, to hope is to be in a place of waiting. And when you're waiting with expectancy, you have hope. That's right. Amen. So here's what I want to say to you concerned that. The hopeful are willing to wait. And this is contrary to our present-day culture, because in our present-day culture, especially the younger generation, we don't like waiting for nothing. I mean, Amazon Prime ain't there by two days. You're calling Amazon and cussing them out. Because why do I got to wait three days? You promised me two days, and two days is too long, so now I want same-day delivery. We live in a culture that we don't like waiting. But God's not an American, and He's not part of our present-day culture. And there is something redemptive about waiting. So this is what I want to say. The hopeful are willing to wait, but the hopeless are impatient. They're unwilling to wait. And if you're unwilling to wait, you are hopeless. Is this okay this morning? The word yachal, meaning to wait, we see it in Genesis chapter 8. And Sister Fowler, if you would put that up on the screen. You remember the story of Noah and the ark, yeah? yeah. And you remember how Noah got into the ark and he, he rode the waves up as the water w- tossed to and fro. And then he was sitting, you know, in the, the still waters. He floated for a while and he was waiting yes, for the water to recede. Yes, remember, he kept sending out the winged spies. Go find some dry land. In Genesis chapter 8, verse 10, this is what the scripture says. So he waited, yachal, which is also translated hope. He waited another seven days longer, and again he sent out the dove from the ark. So yachal is translated hope, but it's also translated wait, and that's not a mistake. Is this okay this morning? So I want you to understand, see, you've got to have hope if you're going to overcome in this life. But you've got to understand that part of hope is waiting. Hope is not instantaneous. Hope ain't jiffy pop. The second word that is often translated hope is quave. Now this is where it gets interesting, at least to me. Quave means to wait, but it, it, it's interesting to find out where it comes from. It comes from the root word quave which has to do with rope or cord. Now, see, the original language is, everyone say, I'm a, I'm a student. I'm a student. Because I'm about to teach you. You're going to Bible school, 201. That The word quave, this is what it brings out about hope, is that hope is like having a cord that's tied to a treasure, and as you begin to pull on that cord, you apply tension to the rope. You following me? Yeah. Okay, The tension on the rope is proof of your hope. Yes. Yes. Okay. You don't have the treasure yet, but the tension that's on the rope. Have you all ever felt that tension of expectation? Yes. Well, you know you got something, you just ain't got it yet. Yes. But the tension is proof that you're attached to it. Yes. And you're making a demand on it, you're pulling it. Faith is the evidence of things... Hoped for, you're applying tension to the rope. Now if somebody says you got treasure. You got, I ain't got it yet, but it's coming. Uh-huh. Okay. Now hold on to that, that. That's just an illustration, and the reason I'm saying that's just an illustration because in just a second I'm going to contradict that illustration. Because your hope ain't actually tied to a treasure. If it is, you're going to be sorely disappointed in life. Your hope is actually tied to the treasure giver. And that may be as small, but it's a massive difference. Because we, as children of God, we don't attach our hope to things. We attach our hope to God. And when we attach our hope to God, He comes with every good thing. But it's not the thing itself. Is that, you, you follow me? But the tension that's on the cord, the tension that's on the rope, is proof that we've got the thing before we've got it. And if someone wants to know, do, how can you prove you got it? You can say, look at the tension in the rope. Woo! If I didn't believe there was something on the other side of this, I wouldn't be pulling it toward me. Right. Right. But I'm pulling it and applying tension because the tension is my quave. Yeah. Right. It's my hope. It, uh, this is, go to with me, if you would, to Joshua chapter 2, because Joshua chapter 2 has an amazing illustration of this. And it really, this story, how many of you ever heard of Rahab? You know, Rahab was a harlot. In modern day vernacular, Rahab was a hooker. But Rahab is one of the most important characters in the Bible. But when you read in Joshua chapter 2, when you understand what hope is, you'll understand what the scarlet cord was so much better. How many of you ever, maybe you're not like me, how many of you ever wondered, what's the deal with the red rope hanging out your window? Because you know those are all types and shadows. Right? And so what does that actually mean? And we all understand, okay, scarlet means blood, but what's it all about? Well, you remember the story, right, when the, the spies went into Jericho, and Jericho was the first city that had to fall, and the spies went to Rahab's house. And now the soldiers were hunting the spies, and they wanted to kill them. And so Rahab told them to hide out up on the roof, but when the soldiers came to her door and knocked, Rahab lied. She's a hero in the Bible, but she lied. And she told them, she said, well, they they went down toward the gate. If you run really fast, you might catch them. So the soldiers took off and she went up to the roof of her house and she made a covenant with the spies. Right. And this is good. Look at with Joshua chapter two, verse 18. This is what the spies said. Unless... When we come into the land, you tie this cord of scarlet thread in the window through what you let us down and gather into your father, your mother, your brother, and all of your father's household. What they were saying was, this covenant will be null and void if we don't see a cord, quave, hanging out your window. When they entered Jericho, they destroyed everything except for Rahab's house and those inside. Why? Why? Listen to this. Because she had connected her hope to the God of Israel. Y'all need need to be listening. Her hope, and that was evidence, that cord, the tension, was hope that she had switched her allegiance from the gods of Jericho to the God of Israel. And she hung that cord out to say, y'all need to understand, I have hope in God. So when they came into the city to destroy everything, the one who had hope in God endured. Selah. That's That's some good preaching right there. Because, see, I'm going to show you in just a second, all throughout the scripture, where the Bible talks about the hope of the unrighteous comes to nothing. But the hope of the righteous endures and makes glad. See, both the righteous and the unrighteous have hope. But where, who they tie their cord to is different. I was just watching a thing on uh, gold diggers, see, gold miners in, 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 in Alaska. And these gold, they, they were in this really, this massive creek, and they had tied a lifeline, a cord, to a big boulder. They said, what, about 10 tons. And they thought that ton, will, that, that boulder will be secure as we're digging for our treasure the problem was that boulder began to shift and when that boulder began to shift their hope evaporated and was replaced by panic see our hope can't be tied to our company our hope can't be tied to our spouse our hope can't be tied to our our friends Our hope can't be tied to our 401K. Our hope has to be tied to God because only God is immovable. Only God is invulnerable. Everything else can be shifted. Everything else can move on us. And if it moves and we have our hope tied to it, then our hope brings us to ruin. Everyone say hope. hope. So it's important that we understand that hope is a cord. And that cord can be a guideline, it can be a lifeline, but when it's attached to God, it's secure. Is this okay? Yes, sir. Now listen, we understand, when it's attached to God, and we have that tension, we draw nigh unto God, God draws nigh unto us, because by that cord of hope, I am pulling on God every day and in every way, and we're coming closer together. Now, when I get God, I get everything God has, right? So I don't have to tie my cord to treasure, I tie it to God and God comes with treasure. I don't have to tie it to promotion, because when I tie it to God, He comes and He promotes. It's like if you read Proverbs eight. I love two my two favorite chapters in the entirety of the Scripture, Romans eight and Proverbs eight. Anytime I need read a new translation, I know I'm going to like the translation if I like Romans eight and Proverbs eight. I don't need to read the entire. To read is Proverbs eight and Romans eight, because if I like those, I know the rest of the the, the rest of that translation I'll like. And in Proverbs 8, it's wisdom talking. And I like what wisdom says. Look in this. Wisdom, and we don't have a slide for this, but it's in there. Trust me. You can look it up later. Proverbs 8.18 says, Riches and honor are with me. So I don't need to seek riches, and I don't need to seek honor. I just need to get wisdom. Because when I get wisdom, I get riches and I get honor. But then wisdom also says enduring wealth. Not momentary wealth. Not fleeting wealth, not wealth that evaporates. But if I get wisdom, I get enduring wealth yes. and righteousness. Amen. So you see, so it's not a thing of when I say attach your hopes to God, and you're going to do without every nice thing the rest of your life. That's 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 religion. That's right. That ain't Christianity. Christianity is I attach my hope to God, and He brings every good and perfect gift. Yes, so let's go back. Let's go back to the scarlet thread. Hey. Rahab had attached her hope to the God of Israel. And I want you to see this. Listen to this. Her hope made a harlot into a hero of Israel. That's massive right there. Her hope. She attached that cord to the God of Israel and it turned a harlot into a hero that to this day is celebrated in Israel. Do you know what your hope can do for you? Do you see how your hope can take you from the smallest of beginnings to the most significant of endings? Hope is necessary to overcome. Man, I got eight pages. I'm on page two. We got to hurry. This is supposed to be a Reader's Digest version. You see, the hope... I'll just read so I don't chase so many rabbits. Her cord isn't really tied to any type of earthly treasure. It's tied unto God. Proverbs 10, verse 28 says this, The hope of the righteous is gladness. The hope of the righteous is gladness, but the expectations of the wicked perish. In other words, the wicked hold on to a cord that leads to nowhere good. Because they have attached the hope to something that can be moved, something that can be destroyed, something that can fail, but not us. Our hope is in God alone. Amen. It's not in stuff. This is the reason why if stuff changes, our hope doesn't evaporate. That's right. That's right. That's right. That's right. If we attach our hope, is this okay? I'm chasing a bunch of rabbits already. I'm sorry. But if we attach our hope to our friends, then when our friends leave us, we're suddenly hopeless. Amen. Right. We attached our hope to the wrong thing. Yeah. If we attach our hope to God, then it doesn't matter who comes and who leaves because God will bring someone else. The righteous find their way to gladness. They are attached to something bigger and better than they are. Someone that will endure. Is this okay? The point of the proverb is this, the good and the wicked have hopes and dreams. Those who align their future with God will ultimately experience joy. Those who place their faith in money or material goods will be sorely disappointed. In Proverbs 11, verse 7, it says this, When the wicked die, their hope perishes, and the expectation of the the godless comes to nothing. Hmm. If there's one thing that the modern world hates, it's waiting. To get rich today, people simply need to invent something that reduces wait time. True. All you got to do is invent something, an app or something that reduces wait time, and you'll be a billionaire. Why? Because people don't like waiting. Companies vie for ever quicker delivery systems. Businesses and individuals strive to squeeze every last drop of usefulness out of every last second. We carry around these tiny computers called smartphones that are forever distracting because we don't want to wait on nothing. Can't wait to get home and look it up. Got to look it up now while we're driving. And then when something gets in the way of our instant gratification like traffic, road rage occurs. Why? Because we don't want to wait. We're an impatient people. Can I chase another rabbit? Look at this in in the book of James. I want to show you this. And again, we don't have slides. But James chapter 1. For you, and I'm going to read this to you out of the Passion Translation. For you know that when your faith is tested, it stirs up power within you to endure all things. And then as your endurance grows even stronger, it will release perfection into every part of your being until there is nothing missing and nothing lacking. Nothing missing and nothing lacking. That's for the patient people. Impatient people aren't willing to let patience do its thing in their lives. When you're impatient, you're easily frustrated. When you're easily frustrated, you're easily manipulated. When you're easily manipulated, the enemy can take you out of the place of your blessing and put you into a place completely different. Why? Because you didn't want to wait. How many of you ever heard of Ishmael? Compared to Isaac? Is that okay? Yes, ma'am. Yes, sir. Our, our society conditions people to expect instant results. But what if, listen to this, what if there's something redemptive in waiting? What if God is working out within us the eternal weight of glory, making us more like Him? What if, is this a, what if there's something redemptive in the tension that comes with waiting? What if good could come out of it? Listen to this. What if we accepted this basic truth, this reality of life, that everyone on the whole planet waits for something? And what if we focus less on reducing wait times And more on who and what we're waiting for. Selah. Instead of focusing on how long it's it's taken, you remember the story of Abraham Rabbit. I'm just letting you know, rabbit just ran across, but it's fat and fluffy and it's good to eat. (laughs) Abraham did not grow weak in faith. He waited. I've had people well, Pastor, what if it takes a week? What if it takes a year? What if it takes a decade? What if it takes half my lifetime? Abram did not grow weak in becoming Abraham. And the reason why he did not grow weak isn't because Sarah was better looking every day. Now, Sarah was hot. Sarah had to have been one hot lady. Because, I mean, at 90, other people wanted her, she wasn't your typical grandma. But when he looked at her, she had been barren since she was young. And when he looked at himself in that full-length mirror, he said, Abram, you're getting old, dude. You got wrinkles where you used to not have no wrinkles. and What happened to your biceps? But he counted him faithful, who had promised. He didn't look at the deadness of Sarah's womb. He didn't look at his own aging body. But every day in his journey, while he waited, his hope was in the one who promised. Because the one who promised doesn't grow old. The one who promised doesn't grow weak. The one who promised doesn't get out of date. He had attached his cord of hope to God. And so as he waited, he grew stronger. And what if there's something redemptive in the, in the wait? Yes, sir. Go with me to Isaiah chapter 40. There ain't a clock in this place, is there? Isaiah chapter 40, verse 27. In the time of Isaiah, I want you to know, these were dark days for Israel. And Isaiah was prophesying to a despondent people. And he says this, he says in, in verse 27, Why do you say, Jacob, and you assert, Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and the justice due me escapes the notice of my God? do you not know have you not heard the everlasting god the lord the creator of the ends of the earth does not become weary or tired his understanding is unsearchable he gives strength to the weary and to the one who lacks might he increases power though youth grow weary and tired and vigorous young men stumble and are on crutches a single sunday So I'm a vigorous young man. It says so right there. Vigorous young men stumble badly. Verse 31, Yet those who wait for the Lord, those who have attached their cord of hope to the Lord, will gain new strength. They who who wait for the Lord will mount up with wings like eagles. They who, who wait for the Lord will run and not get tired. They who wait for the Lord will walk and not become weary. Is this okay this morning? See, this is one of the things God has gifted you with. He has given you hope. But hope isn't instantaneous results. We live in a culture where if you ain't struck it rich by the time you're 22, you're old. But in the Bible, many times they didn't even step into their ministry until they were 80. So in the language of the Bible, hope is about waiting and expectation, but waiting for God. Yes. Hallelujah. Yes. It's just okay this morning. Yes. Isaiah chapter 8, verse 17. Listen to this. And I will wait for the Lord, who is hiding his face from the house of Jacob. I will wait eagerly for him. The same verse out of the New Living. I will wait for the Lord who is turned away from the descendants of Jacob. I will put my hope in Him. So you see that hoping and waiting is the same thing. In almost every case you'll find in the Scripture what the people of God are waiting for is God Himself. Like in Psalm 130, the poet cries out from a pit of despair. Verse 5, Psalm 130, I wait for the Lord. My soul waits, and I wait for His Word. My soul waits in hope for the Lord, more than the watchman for the morning. Yes, more than the watchman for the morning. Israel, wait for the Lord, for with the Lord there is mercy, and with Him is abundant redemption. Amen. And you find in the... I, I, I want to really get to Ezekiel before we run out of time, but you'll find in the Bible that biblical hope isn't based on circumstances. Because, see, you can be optimistic if the circumstances are right. You got that phone call that makes you optimistic you're about to get the job. But what about when the phone call doesn't come? And you thought your interview was great. Do you still have hope? Optimism is based upon circumstances. Hope is based on God. So many times in the Bible, you'll find that the people of God had nothing to be optimistic about. That if it were not for God, they'd be gone. Everyone say this, but God. but God. But because you have God, you have hope. And as long as you have hope, and this is deep, and I know this is really deep, but listen to this. As long as you have hope, you are not hopeless. Amen. Go with me to Proverbs chapter 23, verse 18. I'm going to skip some things for the sake of time. You can can download the Bible app and get all of these notes. It'd be worth your effort. Proverbs 23, verse 18 says, Certainly there is a future, and your hope will not be cut off. Listen to this. It is God's past faithfulness that motivates hope for the future. It is God's past faithfulness That motivates hope for the future you look forward by looking backward trusting in nothing other than God's character what does that mean it means this if God ever did it for anyone he'll do it for you and that's your hope when you look at them and you say God blessed them then God can bless you because if God ever did it for anyone and if God ever healed anyone then you have hope he'll heal you Is this making sense? So God's faithfulness and His faithfulness alone is the foundation of all your hope. And that's a a wonderful place to be because everything else can change. But God changeth not. Mm. In Psalm 39, you read these words, And now, Lord, what do I wait for and expect? My hope and expectation are in you. The entire culture of the Jewish people, really God's people, was based on hope. Can I say this to you? If you're a child of God, you have no right to be hopeless. Because God has gifted you hope. And the only way you can be hopeless is to deny the gift God gave you. Because you think somehow your unfortunate circumstances are greater than the gift God gave you. But when hope is lost, and it can be lost, but I want to say, is this okay? Have I outrun your attention span? Hope can only be lost when your focus is changed. Which is why the enemy of distraction will work so hard to say, look over here, look over here. Don't ignore that past due notice. Look at the letters are read, past due. Look at the doctor's report. Look at, look at, look at, look at, because the enemy wants you to change focus. How many of you remember Peter? Peter was doing just fine until he changed focus. So what do you do when you've lost hope? And let me explain, let me just chase this rabbit a little bit. Hope deferred, Proverbs chapter 13, verse 12. Hope deferred. Doesn't mean hope lost, it means hope put on the shelf. Hope put on the shelf makes the heart sick, but desire fulfilled is a tree of life. Now, finally, there's there's this amazing story in the book of Ezekiel about the valley of dry bones. How many of you remember it? I love this story. I've got an entire teaching series on it, but today ain't the day. Ezekiel 37, verse 3 is where I want to start. You remember that the Lord grabbed Ezekiel basically by his hair, yanked him. And brought him to a valley of dry bones and dropped him off. And this is what the Lord said to him, son of man, can these bones live? And I answered and I love this. He said, oh, Lord God, you know, in other words, he's saying this is above my pay grade. This don't look good. This is a valley of dry bones. And you're asking me, can these dry bones live? Only, you know. Verse 4, same chapter 37, again he said to me, prophesy, speak inspired words of life, because that's all prophecy is, speak inspired words of life over these bones and say to them, you dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Speak words of life, speak words of the Spirit. Quote Bible verses. Yes. Then jump down to verse 37. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I prophesied, there was a loud noise. And behold, a rattling. And the bones came together, bone to bone. And you remember the story. Little by little, sinew was added, flesh was added. And pretty soon the army or the, the bones became an army. Look at verse 11. Then he said to me, and this is so important, I don't want you to miss this. Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are. He didn't say these bones are like. He didn't say this is an illustration, this is a simile. He said these bones are the entire house of Israel he's saying now in the flesh, in the natural they might look normal but in the spirit this is what they look like uh-huh. from your perspective everything looks good From my perspective they're a valley of dry bones because this these are yes. the house of Israel yes. right. what am I saying there's a way to make sure this ain't your house Amen. Uh-huh. Right. now look what happened behold They say, who says, they say, say. there's no record that this is what God said of them. This is what they say. They say our bones are dried up. Life and death are in the power of the. They say our bones are dried up. And what did they become? Dried up bones. And they said, and our hope has perished. We're completely cut off. Now, who said it? Did God say it? They said it. They said it, and they prophesied their own future. Then God brings Ezekiel into the scene, and he says, I want you to say something different. I want to introduce you into a hopeless situation, but I want you to say something different than what they've been saying. What do I say, Lord? You say what I've commanded you to say. How do I know what you've commanded me to say? Uh Listen, we're not too sophisticated just open up the book and quote it. He said, Ezekiel, they've been saying our hope is dried, our bones are dried, we're cut off. He said, I want to introduce you into the narrative of the story and I want you to speak words of life. And when he began to speak words of life, everything began to come together. How yes. 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 are y'all listening to me? Yes, sir. Thank you, Lord. So what happens when you say you have no hope? Come on now. I've said it, you've said it. Well, this is a hopeless situation. Who gave us the right to say that? Well, there's no hope that this will ever work. Pastor, you're keeping it real now. That's why we call it Real Life Church. Because if we want real, substantial, sustained change, we got to deal with certain things. How do we negate hope? How do we lose focus? We begin to say things contrary to what God has said. God says He's given us a future and a hope. And we look at our future and say it's hopeless. I recently heard a preacher say anytime God says anything about anything, it's the truth. It doesn't matter what the subject is. If God says it, it's the truth. If God says your kitty cat is a horse, you better buy a saddle. Because when he says it, guess what's going to happen to that furry, fluffy little animal of yours? It's a horse. You know why it's impossible for God to lie? Not simply because of the morality, but because of the creativity. When God says a thing, it becomes. So how can a person, an entity, whose very words change reality ever lie? So what happens when he looks at you and says, you're no longer a loser, but a winner? And his words alter reality. In his reality, you're now a winner. What, when, he's, when he looks at your sin-filled, sin-soaked soul and says you're now the righteousness of God in Christ, guess what you have become? The righteousness of God in Christ. When he says you're no longer poor, but you're provided for. But now we negate it when we lose focus and we begin to say something contrary. What this preacher said is the truth. Whatever God says about anything or anyone, it is the truth. And any word contrary is a lie. lie. That's right. Amen. So for you or I as children, of, is this okay? I'm trying to hurry. For and You can tell I want to get up too. You and I as children of God should never ever declare about ourselves our hopes our dreams our futures our aspirations that they are hopeless because they're in improper english there ain't nothing hopeless about you it doesn't matter what your background was it doesn't matter what you've been through it doesn't matter how many mistakes you've made there is this thing called amazing grace and part of the package of grace is this thing called hope. And hope is what makes life worth living. Because you have attached the cord of your dreams to the God of the impossible. Yes, sir. Right, the and you're applying tension to it and you're pulling yourself closer to it every single day. And like Abraham before you, even if it takes 25 years, someday you're going to laugh. Because you've got the victory. Hmm. With the prophetic word, God would infuse hope back into his people. Now we're going to try to wrap this up. Jesus is living hope. And in the earliest days of the church, you'll see that the, the followers of Jesus cultivated this habit of hope. It didn't matter if they were in jail. It didn't matter if they were getting chased across the wilderness. They were a hopeful people. Listen to this, they believed that Jesus' life, death, and resurrection was God's surprising response to their slavery, to their slavery to evil and death. The empty tomb opened up a door of hope. And they used the Greek word "elpis" to describe that anticipation. The Apostle Peter said that Jesus didn't just give hope, Jesus is hope. Go with me to 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 3. Celebrate with praises the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has shown us his extravagant mercy. For his fountain of mercy has given us a new life. We are reborn to experience a living energetic a living and energetic hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Colossians chapter 1, verse 27, Living within you is the Christ who floods you with the expectation of glory. This mystery of Christ embedded within us becomes a heavenly treasure chest of... Filled with the riches and the glory for His people, and God wants everyone to know it. Hmm. Colossians chapter 1, verse 27, out of the New American Standard. The mystery that is Christ in you is the hope of glory. In both cases, hope is based on a person, the risen Jesus, who has overcome death. So listen to this. Christian hope is bold, waiting for humanity and the whole universe to be rescued from the evil of death. Our expectation is both corporate and individual. Every word of God will be manifested. That's our hope. Every dream realized. That's our hope. Every vision fulfilled. That's our hope. Every disease healed. That's our hope. See, because when your body has pain and disease has taken root, you pull on that cord. I wish somebody was listening to me. Yes, sir. My hope is attached to God. God's my healer. My hope is attached to God. God is my provider. So when something happens and my wealth evaporates, I apply tension to that cord. And I begin to pull myself hand over hand to the one who is and who forever shall be. Uh Uh Every captive set free, that's our hope. Every sinner saved, that's our hope. We don't hope for little things. We hope for kingdom-sized things, because the king is our hope. Amen. Now of course you know I can't preach on hope and not go to. 11, Hebrews 11. And with this, I'll begin to commence on my first closing. Hebrews 11:1. Now faith is the certainty of things hoped for. The word hope contains within it the willingness to wait. While I'm waiting for the manifestation, my tension, my expectation is the proof I have the thing. Well, where is it? It's on the other side of this rope I'm pulling on. You can't see it out of the hole yet, but I'm pulling. I've attached it. Faith is the certainty of things hoped for. A proof of things not seen yeah. Amen. now some would say it's crazy to believe that you have something you can't see and maybe it is but it's only crazy until it happens That's right. That's right. Hmm? All right. now we've all heard people say things like this and this is i am closing that odds are it'll never happen odds are you'll never be the ceo of that company you'll never sing that song you'll never do that thing because after all the odds are against you right odds are it'll never happen what are the odds this ain't about odds it's about god because biblical hope isn't based on the odds listen to this before you were born and we're still too tiny to see for the human eye you won a race for life against 250 million competitors. Try it. Try it. You didn't even know you were in that race. But you were running against approximately 250 million competitors, and you won. What are the odds? Wow. That's a good problem. And yet how fast have you forgotten his grace when your very existence is proof of his greatness? You were born a winner, a warrior one who defied the odds. By surviving the most gruesome battle of them all, you made it. You were the first one. And now that you are a giant, why do you even doubt victory against smaller numbers with wider margins? The only walls that exist are those you have placed in your mind. And whatever whatever obstacles you conceive exist only because you have already forgotten that you achieved something insurmountable already and you forgot what He has already done. So as we close this, I want to say unto you, hold on to your hope. It's a choice to wait for God and to bring about a future that's as surprising as a crucified man rising from the dead. Christian hope looks back to the risen Jesus in order to look forward to the resurrected one. And that's what the biblical words for hope are all about. Waiting in expectation for the greatness of my God to manifest in my life. So hope is what I got for Christmas. What you get. Stand to your feet this morning.